Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode, a special Halloween episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks. Yeah, we're so excited for today's episode because we're talking about the history of Ouija boards. I thought this was the history of the Halloween franchise part three. <laughs> I think we've <laughs> I think we've covered that. Even though there are a few things we missed. Like when we were I was editing, I was like, Oh, we forgot to mention Janet Lee. We okay, forgot excuse- to mention I'm just gonna cut you off right there. Yeah. I think we have already said far, far too much about yes. Halloween. Yep, that's fair. But <laughs> anyway, we did have a lot of fun with that. We have something totally different for you today, which is Again, the history is which is which is the history of spirit boards, specifically uh, Ouija boards, which is sort of a Kleenex tissue brand name situation. What? You know how they're called? People call Kleenex. People call tissues Kleenex, but it's really Kleenex is a brand name. Gotcha. So that's why in video games, when you collect the, the dirty Ouija, tissues, no, the 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 item in game during ghost hunting games. Yeah. It's always called the spirit board. Yeah. Or a talking board? Uh, I think I've only seen it as spirit board, but I've seen it a couple times, which was weird because I always thought it was just called a Ouija board. Yeah, so Ouija is a brand name. And to be totally fair, it's got a total monopoly for the most part on the market. Is it made by Milton Bradley? No, we'll talk about who it's made by. But so most of the time you are actually probably talking about a Ouija board. But spirit boards obviously are bigger, right? Bigger umbrella ward. Well, I mean, we're going to get into spirit board franchise wars of 1963. Uh, once we get to that part so before we jump into it i have a few a few housekeeping items here Mm -hmm. the first thing is super exciting and i think it's a really good recommendation for this time of year especially for halloween what is it so we have a friend who just created a new podcast we have a friend we have one friend oh my goodness (laughs) who just created this podcast it's called city of ghosts it's available wherever you listen and actually on our last episode the trailer was at the end, so if you heard that, that's what it is. We'll also have the trailer at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. A little sneak peek for you. Cool. They have a few episodes live. It's it's very cool. It's set in New York City, which of course we love because we're set in New York City. Yeah, we are. That's true. And it's a supernatural neo-noir mystery. Supernatural neo-noir mystery. So it's scripted, gotcha. right? Yep. Voice acted. It's got amazing talent in it. And it's really cool. I've listened to the first episode, so you can catch up now. Uh, And there's new episodes coming, so it's like a good time to jump in. So also, our dear friend Emily of Personal Space Press, we collaborate with her on Lunatics Magazine, lots of of Lunatics stuff. She's doing the artwork for City of Ghosts. Oh, no way. Yeah, so check it out because the artwork is great. The podcast is great. So that's why the artwork is so awesome. Yeah. Let's support, support them all as best we can. Speaking of Emily of Personal Space Press. Yes. She was kind enough to do a mural on yes. uh, a bit of my equipment that comes out on set. And just the other day, it was the the, the hit of, of the entire film set as everyone was talking about it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. It's I'm looking at it right now. It's it's it makes your equipment distinct so nobody can take it and pretend that it's theirs. That is exactly why I wanted a mural on it. Sorry, that's exactly why I wanted it personalized. I was not expecting such a cool mural. Right. Yeah, it is cool. It's it's perfectly in her style, too. Indeed. The other thing I want to mention. So we have a few copies left of the eighth issue of Lunatics magazine, which is an annual art magazine that we put out again in collaboration with Emily of Personal Space Press. This issue is ritual theme. It's got really great artist interpretations of the theme with like short stories and, and comics and things, but it also has practical daily rituals you can do, like ways to make cups of tea, or things that are very simple, right? That that can just add a little bit of moments of meditation into your life. So really proud of this issue. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't this end up being the most successful Lunatics magazine so far? Yes, absolutely. We are almost sold out of it. We actually are almost sold out of a bunch of our issues. They're all really cool. So check out our Etsy page if you go to lunaticsproject.com and you can navigate to magazines. That's where you can purchase them. Thank you guys so much for supporting it so much. And there's only a few issues left. So again, if you are thinking about it, now is the time. Next time you have to do a larger printing. Yeah, next time. Now we know. You're too popular. (laughs) 
<laughs> Everyone loves you, especially our one friend. <laughs> yes, and it's, I think, largely due to the really great contributors and artists, right, that are part of it. So thank you all so much. For like Emily of Personal Space Press. Like Emily, yes, and many others. Also, final, final thing that I will mention, just a reminder that... Our friends over at One to a Thousand, their first printed issue of their artist magazine, which is similar to ours, is now available for purchase. I have work that's being featured in that, so I'm super excited about it. And it's very topical because we're going to do a Lunatics Library episode about spirit boards because, of course, perfect theme. And our friends over at One to a Thousand are actually going to be the readers for that episode. So more to come next week on that. But it's a really great community to support. They're doing really cool things. So that's one to a thousand dot co, and you can check out everything that they're doing there. Okay. Shall we jump into spirit boards? Before we get started, okay, what is a spirit board? So a talking board, spirit board, Ouija board, in essence, the same thing, right? It's a small board, visualizing. Yeah, so I mean, I am familiar with a Ouija board. Okay, that's a spirit board. That's a talking board. In my mind, it's just a thing that like a bunch of kids use at a sleepover, and then like one of them moves it, like everyone, like, one moves it around. Right. Or two, everyone moves it around. I don't well, know. I think we should visually describe it in case someone isn't familiar. Oh, shoot. Of course. So it's like, it's literally a board, right? Like a flat board that typically has hello, goodbye, yes, no, maybe, and then numbers and letters printed on it. And the idea is that you have a planchette, which is like an indicator. Everyone puts their fingers on the planchette and it slides across the table, spells things out, right? And a planchette is a triangle thing with a hole in it? It's heart-shaped, yeah, has a hole. It's actually a French word that means little plank. Oh. Yeah, just a cute little fun fact. So that's visually what a spirit board is. To answer your question about it being a fun sleepover game, yeah. that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Fun sleepovers? Fun sleepover games? We're gonna get, we're gonna get into how it became how like the I make whole one evolution. Hell of a pillow fort. I've never seen that. Actually, I redact that. Okay, well, I whirlwind. used to make one hell of a pillow fort. I was recently on a film set where the narrative required the kids to have a pillow fort, mm -hmm. right? Sure. You know, and we have a bunch of you know grown adults that now have to build this pillow fort, and we're all at a loss. Because we're like, well, how the heck do we do this without, you know, C-stands and rigging and all these things that, you know, would give you actual infrastructure? We used to do this with chairs and blankets. Yeah, what do you mean? Where's your where's your inner child? I, I Now, just I my mind immediately goes to like, oh, this thing needs to be here? Oh, yeah, just put it on a C-stand, long arm it out, and put a clamp on it. You need to revisit your inner child. That's gonna, that's really, I think, at the, the core of this. Or is it still or is it still the inner child just with better tools? No, 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 no. Because it's not fun in the same way to build a fort out of C stands. Oh, we had fun. <laughs> Fair enough. So today's sources. A Smithsonian magazine article written by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie, a Vox video, Why the Ouija Board Became So Famous, a Vox article by Phil Edwards, a Baltimore Magazine article by Ron Cassie, an article from The Atlantic by Megan Garber, Wikipedia, and several historic articles that we're going to cite as we go. And just a special thanks to April Branker for the research help on this one. Before we jump in, so we're talking about like ghosts, right? Like that's the whole point, communing with ghosts? Yeah, at the beginning, that was the, that was the purpose. Okay, because I have a surprise for you. Is there a ghost here? My eyes are closed. Your eyes. My eyes are closed. I'm holding what feels like a bottle in my hand. I'm going to open them now. <laughs> oh, blueberry breeze, a wine beverage flavored with blueberry juice from concentrate. <laughs> That's very cute. I've had that stupid bottle <laughs> since like we started the podcast. Oh my goodness. We'll have to take a picture. And I was just waiting for you to do an episode on just like ghosts but then you got way too specific with everything yes we, yeah we haven't done an episode on ghosts broadly <laughs> so uh i assume we're not going to do an episode just called ghosts probably not no maybe we could do types of hauntings no see you're already doing it what you're getting you're getting really into the nitty-gritty we just want to call ghosts <laughs> and so i can give you that okay well thank you now you've given it to me i gave you your werewolf wine your yes. vampire wine yes 
Now you got your ghost wine. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have to crack her open sometime this week. Mm. All right. Shall we jump in? Yeah, I guess so. I got nothing else to do. (laughs) In modern times, you can purchase talking boards in the game aisle of any major department store or online retailer. Is that like where you push the thing and it says, the cow goes, No. (laughs) I'm going to use talking boards, spirit boards. I guess that sounded like a ghost Pretty. Pretty interchangeably here. And I'll only use Ouija board if I'm talking about the brand. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But the history of this practice dates back to 1100 AD in China. 1100. Is that that the Song Dynasty? (laughs) It is exactly the Song Dynasty. Very, Very good. I'm always impressed. Thank you. So the historical documents from the Song Dynasty that describe Fuji or planchette writing. These methods continue throughout the region. So these methods continue throughout the region until they're eventually banned by new by the new leadership, the new regime, if you will. The real rise in spirit or talking board use came with the spiritualist movement. And if you're not familiar, of course, we've done a whole series on the spiritualist movement in the U.S. So you can always reference that. That's a good companion series for this snooze fest. <laughs> During this time, many divination methods were used to try and connect with the spirit world. So especially after the Civil War in the United States, right, there's a huge shift towards contacting those who have departed. And that's what spiritualism is, is the belief that not only there's an afterlife, but that we can talk and communicate with them because, right, there's unimaginable death and grief everywhere in the country. It does. It makes a lot of sense that people turn to mediums at this time. Sure. There were around a million lives lost during the Civil War. Not to mention the life expectancy was also a lot lower back then. Most people lived between 40 and 50 years old. So we're going to hop over quickly to France. On June 10th, 1853, Alan Kardec recorded the invention of planchettes in the modern sort of sense, right? Kardec was at a seance in France. And up until this time, communication with spirits during the spiritualist movement was done kind of in this like monotonous way with tapping codes, right? Like certain taps mean certain letters or yes and no. And so it was like this very laborious process. One of the people at this seance specifically with Kardec had the idea to stick a pencil to a basket, which allowed several of the folks there to record messages from the spirits. A pencil to a basket? So think of sort of like a primitive planchette with a pencil. So you're actually writing oh, yeah, things yeah. out. Yeah. So basically, it, just, it, it functions as just like a cup that they're sliding around. Yeah, but then the pencil is actually writing on the paper, right? right? Yeah, as you go, instead of like indicating letters. Yep. Oh, 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 gotcha. So there's no board, there's just paper. Right, this predates, yeah. I see. So in 1886, there's this famous Associated Press article that every every different source I encountered references. Hey, they're still around. They are, yeah. The AP reported on the spirit boards that were being used in spiritualist camps located in Ohio. This article skyrockets Ouija boards really in the U.S. Ouija specifically. So at this point, it's spirit boards. You're right. I misused there. Hey, I'm only, you called out, you wanted to have a very strict level of professionalism while labeling these things. Yep. Yep. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you for holding me to my own standard. You always do the same to me. (laughs) So this article is important because it actually directly inspires the invention of the Ouija board. Charles Kennard of Baltimore found four investors, including Elijah Bond, to found the Kennard Novelty Company. Four or foreign? Four. Four. One, two, three, four. Gotcha. Their mission? To make talking boards and market them far and wide. Sure. Kennard had been a bit down on his luck after his previous venture, where he had a quote-unquote secret recipe for bone mix fertilizer that went under. It's interesting to understand that this company that they founded was not founded on the ideals of spiritualism. It was founded to make a profit, right? So it was founded not because they were spiritualists who were like, cool, this is happening. We want everybody to be able to access this. It was like, oh, these spiritualists in Ohio are doing this. I bet people all over the country would buy it. And he was not wrong. He was not wrong. So initially, Kennard and this businessman from across the hall named Reich had tried to invent up to a dozen different designs for a talking board, trying to take advantage of the sudden interest that was sweeping the nation. 
Were they trying to do you have you seen any of these original designs? Yeah, there's some very interesting original designs like blueprints that you can still find online. That's crazy. Like, can you describe any? Because I mean, I, I can picture the standard letter, like curved letter array with the corners having yes and no and hello, goodbye, right? So the board itself, I think, is pretty standard. It was more so the design of the planchettes. Like originally they oh. had almost like skates or skis or wheels on them to make them move, you know? Wow. Uh, so there's a lot of like complexity with the planchette itself. Did they have like big toggle switches to flip between 360 turn and crab mode? I'm not even going to pretend that I know what you're asking. <laughs> What's crab mode? Uh, crab mode, once you flip it, will only move in lateral directions. Uh-huh. As opposed to 360, which is, you know, you just roll over the place. I see. No, I don't know. I didn't pay that close attention. Mm. But it's very important to note that they were not the only ones, right, who were trying to take advantage of this sweeping sensation. There are tons of blueprints of talking boards of people who had tried to submit patents from the 1850s to the 1860s. And again, you can look them up. I'll try to post a few of them on Instagram with the post for this episode because they are really fun to look at. Sure. It was really right about like turning this uh, almost like taking advantage of this moment in the country's history where people were grieving and trying to heal and turning it into the like the business of the afterlife, if you will. Right. Why does this sound painfully, painfully familiar? Mediums. I was just thinking more about how you can now go out and get designer masks. Right. uh, From every high end designer has their own mask. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's always a profit to be turned, I suppose. Sure. Capitalism. Have you seen the like the colorful N95s? No. You can get N95s in any color now to match your outfit. Oh, yeah, I bet you can. <laughs> I, I have, like, pretty obnoxious masks. Mine are just, like, blue tie-dye looking, so they never match any of my outfits. And they, I think they sort of make me look like I have Halloween teeth. Today, Alan, is extra special. We timed this episode well, I should say. We? I timed this episode well. You did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. So 131 years ago today, and I know not everybody's listening to this episode the day it releases, but October 30th. I'm listening to it in real time. (laughs) Yes. October 30th, 131 years ago, the Kennard Novelty Company officially opened its doors, and they are the company that coined the term Ouija and patented the design of the board. Okay. So, and, and it's interesting to know, 131 years ago, the boards really look largely the same as the one you can get like at Kmart now. Yeah, which is funny because every big box store still has Ouija boards. Yeah. And I mean, the design of it, it looks so old timey. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's half the charm, you know, ghosts are, ghosts are old. Yeah, ghosts are old. So, you know, why are you going to be showing new stuff to right. them? No, they like old stuff. Yeah. Everyone likes what's familiar. Yeah, and it it looks very mystic, you know. Sure. Kennard initially used the same location of his failed fertilizer company as the warehouse for for Ouija boards. But so this is 131 years ago. Mm-hmm. Was Halloween already like a mainstream holiday, or was it still like Samhain? No, and, and it wasn't Samhain. Pagan festivals. No, 131 years ago. No, it wasn't. It wasn't pagan festivals. It was. It was definitely more like the Halloween we know and and celebrate today to Mm. some extent. Closer on the scale, I would say. I see. Quoting from the Smithsonian Magazine article, but they didn't have the Ouija board yet. The Kenner talking board lacked a name. Contrary to popular belief, Ouija is not a combination of the French for yes, we, and the German ja. Merch says, based on his research, it was investor Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who was, Bond said, quote-unquote, a strong medium, who supplied the whole instantly recognizable handle. Sitting around the table, they asked the board, what should it be called? The name Ouija came through. So it actually came through, this is probably like a wives' tale, but it came through the board itself. And when they asked what that meant, the board replied, good luck. Eerie and cryptic, but for the fact that Peters acknowledged that she was wearing a locket bearing the picture of a woman, the name Ouija above her head. That's the story that emerged from the Ouija's founder's letters. It's very possible that the woman in the locket was famous author and popular women's rights activist, Ouija, whom Peters admired, and that Ouija was just a misreading of that, end quote. That was cute. Yeah. 
And so though some people think that the name was picked because it quote unquote sounds Egyptian <laughs> and the board was initially marketed as an Egyptian luck board. Oh, kind of like to add to the, Oh, it's, it's mystic. It's from Egypt. Like the ritual magic, you know, that was sort of the original vibe. Was this the heyday of Egyptian exploration? I'm just like, I'm trying to think of like the time period of Brendan Fraser digging right. through the desert. When was that? I think it's probably around then. I mean, we're at late 1800s. So yeah, I would say 1800s is probably like, when a lot of that stuff was happening. I'm, I mean, maybe we're a little far off, but I'm just thinking like King Tut's tomb in 1922, which was obviously like a huge spectacle. You have like the mummy movie a few years later. Well, yeah. And I don't think like you don't just walk into Egypt and find King Tut's tomb, right? I bet they had exploration and archaeology going on leading up to that. So I do think you're probably on to something with the time period where they're starting to hear reports about like, oh, what they're finding in Egypt, things like that. Oh, for sure. I'm sure that there was like decades leading up to this of like smaller discoveries. Exactly. The only reason why King Tut's tomb was such a big deal is because it was the only one that had been that was still like sealed. Right. Yeah. And then that's what released the curse on everybody. Yep. Yeah. Did we do an episode on that? We're about to. When the founders tried to patent the Ouija board, I'm really like, you know, the original folks because it changes sure. hands a lot. The patent officer demanded, of course, right, to see a demonstration in order to understand if the board worked before he agreed to issue the patent because that's what the patent office does, right? By by worked, does he mean talk to the, the ghosts? Yes. He does. Wow. So (laughs) the patent officer wanted the board to spell out his name, which supposedly was unknown to the founders at the time. Right. Okay. So he's like, if the board can spell out my name, then I will say that it works. Sure. The story goes that the board actually did successfully spell out the name of the officer, though there's some speculation that because one of the founders was a lawyer, he may have been familiar with the patent officer's name. That stands to reason. (laughs) Either way, they got their patent on February 10th, 1891, because despite everything else, the patent officer was convinced. Mm -hmm. And the patent actually, so it doesn't call out how the board works, just that it does work. And the vagueness of the way that the patent is written only adds to like the mystery and the intrigue around the product. And like people are like, oh, well, there's a patent that says it works. Oh, well, obviously... The patent officer and the lawyer mm-hmm. were sleeping together. Ooh, intrigue. Yeah. I like that theory. That's how you get the very vague wording of a contract that has to be ironclad. Sex. Sex. <laughs> Less than a year later, the demand for the Ouija board had grown so much that the Kennard company expanded from one Baltimore factory, right, to two factories in Baltimore, two New York City factories, two in Chicago, and one internationally in London. To print a piece of cardboard? Less than a year later. Okay. Yeah, so the, just to give you a, right, a sense of the scope of the demand. Wow. There's a few articles that our that our intern, our researcher, <laughs> April Branker, found to help uh, to help provide some color. And they're, they're really fun, so I'm going to cite a few of them. I'm just so pleased that the podcast has gotten to a place where we have people on staff doing I know, that. right? We finally have researchers. <laughs> <laughs> So here's an article from the Wichita Beacon, November 19th, 1895. Okay. A Beacon reporter recently spent an evening, this is quoting, obviously, Okay. with a Ouija board. The board was operated by two young ladies whose veracity is beyond question, and the reporter came away somewhat perplexed, but with a determination to roast the impertinent spirit which evidently controlled it. She, meaning Ouija, for the spirit is doubtless feminine, dared to say provokingly impolite things about the reporter. Yet it must be conceded that she is not a devil, for how can an imp of darkness be imp of light? I mean, you, you got me there. <laughs> Miss Ouija has lots of complimentary things to say about the others in the assembly. She persisted in the statement that the reporter was a fool who, quote, didn't know nothing, end quote. And it sort of goes on and on about like some of the trickery these two young girls play on the reporter. It's just written in, in such a fun way. It's such, I don't know, it, it, like in, in an earnest way, you know? Sure, yeah. 
Here's another one. Jumping ahead to 1920, March 11th, 1920. Oh. Concord transcript from Concord, California. So we're officially in the Roaring Twenties at this point. I'm just reading articles. They're going to jump around. Police break doors to arrest spiritists. Spiritists being people with these boards or people making liquor because of prohibition? The former. Priest gains entrance to home first, then officers use force. San Francisco. Breaking into a house at El Cerrito, just across the county line from Berkeley in Contra Costa County, police officers, March 3, took into custody seven Italians who, it said, had become insane from playing with Ouija boards. How insane are we talking here? According to the authorities, Adeline Bottini, 15-year-old daughter of Mrs. Bottini, is the direct cause of the derangement of the seven persons because she installed the Ouija boards in the house and forced the inmates to hover over the mysterious boards day and night. On two occasions, 24-hour sittings were held. So I think they're crazy in that they were, they were into the boards. They became obsessed. Well, they were being tortured. All of the occupants were in poor physical shape and were suffering from lack of nourishment. The children found in the house were in a starving condition when rescued. I mean... We've, you know, seen lots of examples of people that get addicted to video games and just like let their whole body go to shit, right? Because they live in the online world. Sure. Now, instead, they're living in a piece of cardboard. It's so much worse. Yeah. Here's another one from the Evening Missourian from March 30th, 1920. Assorted spirits dry on tap here. Ouija boards and graveyard visits popular with university students. Messages from the beyond replace concoctions of the fudge pots. Oh? Scene. Most any sorority or girls' rooming house. Group of girls gathered around a table. And in the center of the table, fudge pot? No, a Ouija board. Every girl is intensely excited. Even the incredulous are dying to ask the question, does he love me? The spirits are abroad in Columbia. Table hoppings and Ouija boards vie with each other in holding the center of attention. But at that, the Ouija board comes in for a lion's share of the glory. Okay, so it seems like the Ouija board is not communing with specific spirits. It's just being used for, like, fun fortune-telling. Well, it definitely has an evolution. But yeah, and I think in general, that's the case. You'll see the evolution of it, for sure. Like, in its early usages, a lot of the mediums of the spiritualist movement, you'll see, like, are like, oh, I have this one ghost that comes through for me. Mm-hmm. In general, out, like, for table tappings, for everything. They're like, this is my one spirit guide sort of thing. But then, like, up until when we were, I think, you know, in middle school, it was like, well, who's going to come through? We don't know. And I think that's sort of a good, those are to the, the two ends of the evolution. And in the middle, it sort of changes into fun, more toy-like uh, for you know, entertainment only. Correct. The spirit board is not intended to cure or treat any disease. <laughs> I have one more for you. This is from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle from Brooklyn, New York, March 20th, 1916. The mysterious game Ouija. Oh. And I, it's like sometimes pronounced Ouija, sometimes Ouija. So, I mean, I like to say Ouija. I, I'd imagine that is commonplace when the majority of these things are being passed around in print. Yeah. An old favorite, ever amusing, ever mystifying, provides the best sort of entertainment for those evenings at home and gives as much, if not more, pleasure to the older folk than it does to the younger element. And it's, it's like an advertisement and the small sizes are 74 cents and the large sizes are, 80, are 98 cents. What's the small size? How big are we talking? How big do these get? Yeah, probably like a foot versus two feet. You know, I don't know, something like that. Foot versus two feet. Triplicity. There's also they're also selling Triplicity, a fortune telling game for forty nine cents. Where do we get that? Maybe Adam Bastian. Triplicity. Oh, here's a good one. Okay. So this one, nineteen nineteen, December fifteenth, from the Times Herald from New York, says Ouija boards, Cleveland, Oklahoma, December fifteenth. Although Ouija boards attract only evil spirits, according to Charles H. Figures, president of the First Spiritualist Church. These boards are in great demand as Christmas toys. As a special church meeting called by President Figures, all except one of the Ouija boards owned by members were smashed. One woman member refused to give up her board. I would refuse to give up my board, too. Sure. One local dealer said he was unable to obtain a supply sufficient to meet the demand. He declared his firm sold 1,000 of the boards in two months. So in 1917, medium Emily Grant Hutchings... Of Personal Space Press. 
<laughs> claimed to use the Ouija board to entirely write a novel called Jap Heron. Jap Heron? But it's a nickname for Jasper. I looked into it before I said it. Okay. She claimed that the novel was dictated to her through the ghost of Mark Twain. Ah, he's a good... If you have one ghost that's telling you what to write, that's not a bad one to have. But she wasn't the first. Two years earlier, in 1915, Pearl Curran claimed to contact the spirit of Patience Worth through a Ouija board, and like Hutchings, wrote pieces that were alleged that were allegedly dictated by the spirit world. Okay. I, I mean, I've only used a spirit board once or twice, right? But it's pretty darn slow. So Maybe faster than coming up with your own ideas, though. <laughs> but to... <laughs> Sit there and dictate a novel letter by letter, three seconds per letter, maybe? That's that's a long time. Yeah. No wonder that woman had their kids on the board 24-7. Right. Taking notes. She's freaking, like, writer farming them. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a little writer spirit sweatshop. Yikes. It's my least favorite kind of sweatshop. That's no? right. <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. That's my least favorite use of a Ouija board. I hate that. All the critics agree, after analyzing the work, that Patience Worth, who was the ghost, the supposed ghost, sure. the alleged ghost, yes. was fictitious uh-huh. and not a spirit communicating works of literature through a Ouija board. How? How could they possibly prove that? Because they like matched it with the journals of the woman and they were like, this sounds just like how you write all the time. Well, she did have to write it down. Yeah, but the voice, you know. I don't know. Around this time, people started to use more slang associated with the boards. For example, if you were using one, you were Ouija-ing. Quoting from the Baltimore Magazine article, Less well-known is the Ouija board's use as inspiration or as an automatic writing tool by acclaimed novelists and poets, such as Sylvia Plath, who wrote Dialogue Over a Ouija Board, that's the title, Mm -hmm. and Pulitzer Prize-winning James Merrill. Merrill used notes from Ouija, quote-unquote, consultations in his 560-page epic poem, The Changing Light at Sandover, which contained messages from W.B. Yeats, friend Maya Darren, and the archangel Michael. Okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me deconstruct this one for a second. So, usually I'm not a fan of writers with multiple novels. Okay. I feel like you get too many voices involved characters are told one way then they're told another um and unless you're doing that as like a writing exercise it gets a bit distracting okay now if you're telling me you're gonna do this banger between yeats and a freaking archangel (laughs) Uh uh-huh i'm telling you that if you're telling me you're gonna get this banger between yeats and a freaking archangel yeah then sign me up i want to see that yeah you, if you throw, I don't know, Stephen King and Neil Gaiman in there. Oh, hell yeah. You got one. They're still alive, though. Right. But they, oh, that's true. All right. have to who's, wait a while. who's dead that's pretty good? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. You throw in too many authors and then it just gets, he's going to be all iambic pentameter. And, <laughs> you know, Michael is going to be like, stop, just stop. <laughs> so most influential occultists of the time, right, and mediums of this era were users of Ouija boards. So we don't need to like go through the famous ones. I think the Fox sisters who really kind of kicked off the spiritualist movement eventually were also users of it. So we're going to just give you some interesting tidbits here. Okay. The one and only Alistair Crawley was, of course, also a user of the Ouija board. Crawley and his wife, Jane Wolfe, were users of the board. Frater Akkad was a student of Crawley who experimented with using the board to summon angels. So not spirits, but specifically angels. Stepping on Michael's toes. (laughs) Isn't Michael the one that has the big flaming sword? You're not asking the right person. I just know from the movie Michael with John Travolta. No flaming sword. No, not in that movie. I mean, I think it's in Good Omens. Oh, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, if, if you know if he's the one with the big flaming sword, please leave a comment in below. So in a letter, Crawley wrote to Akkad, your Ouija board experiment is rather fun. 
You see how satisfactory it is. But I believe things improve greatly with practice. I think you should keep one angel and make the magical preparations to elaborate. Additional letters between the two show that they had brought up their own idea for a spirit board. They had even discussed the financial terms and legal copyright considerations, but it never came to be. So he tried and failed or just said, nah? It just never came to be. Like they had a, a d- initial discussions and I think some blueprints around designs, but I don't really know what happened after that. They didn't like launch it. I mean, how much more design can you get? Well, I think they were looking at like different types of planchettes. Sure. I mean, I, I assume there's a wide variety of planchettes already. There's a few different. I mean, it's pretty standard. Is there anything that like facilitates the movement? Like something that, you know, like is, is in, is in, so the one thing that I never understood about spirit boards is like, it just sits there, you know? And you're like, oh, guess there's no ghost here. Like until someone starts just like moving it themselves. Mm -hmm. If there was some kind of like automatic, like randomized movement, something so that it's always in motion. And then you're just kind of like guiding where you're feeling the pull, you know? Something to facilitate the initial movement. Yeah, but I think then you get into a tricky space of it just spelling out random thing. Like, how do you tell when it's moving versus when it's not? I guess I'm almost picturing, like, a pendulum, you know? That's kind of like... Yeah, that's another thing people do all the time. Oh? Yeah. Pendulums for divination, I have a few. You do? And the boards are similar to Ouija boards in that they're more circular and they have letters, numbers, symbols, and you hold the pendulum over it and just sort of see where it swings to. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You keep so many secrets. Yeah, well, got to keep it spicy. So fun fact, speaking of spice, in 1921, William Fold, who had taken over the rights. So at this time, William Fold comes over. He's the new owner of the Ouija, right? Okay. He actually had his own patent for a talking board, but because Ouija was so popular, he decided to kind of like scratch that and take over Ouija. Okay. Ouija. So Fold admitted that Ouija was only a children's toy simply for tax purposes. So he had like a better tax break if he said that publicly. Sure. Fold is not the inventor of the board, but his New York Times obituary claimed him to be, right? We we heard about the inventors earlier. Uh-huh. When asked by a reporter if Fold believed in the power of the board, he replied, quote, I should say not. I'm no spiritualist. I'm a Presbyterian. Got quote. him there. Got him there. That's some hard-hitting news. So Fold had taken over the rights to the frustration of other folks who had been involved from the very start. So there was a lot of sort of bad blood and, you know, tricky business, risky business in within the company. Okay. He also, very harshly, had his brother cut out of the company a family spat that resulted in his brother exhuming his deceased child from the Fold Cemetery and moving them to another cemetery. Like for fun? Be- no, because they got into a fight. So his brother got... F- so Fold fought, was had the head of the company. Yep. He fires his brother. Okay. He's like, fuck you, this fortune is mine. Got it. So the brother is so pissed that the brother exhumes his dead child from the Fold family plot just so that the corpse of his child is not near the family that fired him. They got very, you know, that's a special kind of angry. Yeah. So unfortunately fold died in 1927. Okay. And he fell off the roof of one of the factories. The folklore, if you will, goes that it was a specific factory that the Ouija board had actually told him to build. So that's like the legend that came up around that. (laughs) Just imagining him, in front of all the investors. He says, look at this. Should I build a factory? Yes. Aha! <laughs> Four decades after his death, the Fold family sold the rights to Parker Brothers. There it is. Not Mill and Bradley. It's Parker Brothers. It's Parker Brothers for a while, not forever. But after his death, the Ouija had another boom in the early 1920s. We've, we've talked about this before, how you can look at the span of history and you see upticks in things like horror or spiritualism when things are especially rough, mm-hmm. right? So the big wave of spiritualism comes after the civil war. Sure. The second wave comes off of the first world war and prohibition. So we're now in the 1920s. Okay. 
And again, Ouija's kind of on the rise, right? Given the social climate of the time. More death. People are feeling really antsy. Can't drink. Gotta drown your sorrows and spirits. Ghosts. Yeah. So fun fact. Ouija was a staple in pop culture during this time. So so much so that there was actually a Norman Rockwell painting of two people using a board. Mm-hmm. Quoting from the Smithsonian Magazine article. During the Great Depression, the Fold Company opened new factories to meet demand for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. In 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, outselling Monopoly. Ooh. The same year saw the same year saw more American troops in Vietnam, the counterculture Summer of Love in San Francisco, and riot races in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. All because of the Ouija boards. <laughs> the, maybe the Ouija boards were in response to the unrest. And as expected, the media and newspapers continued to give credence to these boards, including reports of crimes being solved with Ouija boards. Crimes are being solved with these. Well, you know, kind of like in the same way some people call mediums. And then, you know, it's kind of the similar thing. And then, But the newspapers are like really playing it up. So it's, people are like kind of reinvested in it. The board starts to evolve from a purely occultist slash divination practice, right? Yeah. To a game. Even the marketing shifts. The fact that it outsells Monopoly is a great signifier of how it was thought of at the time. Okay. Right? So especially once it's in the hands of Parker Brothers. Sure. It really, like you asked earlier about, you know, it being sort of a game versus, and this is really where it starts to shift from people who are, you know, end of the 1800s, spiritualism, civil war, people are in earnest using them to contact spirits. Yep. Now it's kind of sprouts into a few different things but it's really more thought of as like a fun pastime like everybody is doing it it's a household thing you don't have to be a medium to do it you know now we got all these teenagers that are just having sex and talking to ghosts that's literally what we're about to talk about prior to the 1960s something very interesting happens with the ouija board during an era where there are very specific societal expectations in the u.s around courting aka waiting until marriage right yep Ouija boards become a fun way for couples to sit close to each other in the dark. And of course, there's nothing quite as sexy as your fingers brushing across someone else's while you push a planchette around a piece of cardboard. This is the 60s? No, before the 60s. Okay. I was going to say, I think we remember that neither of us remember the 60s, but I, I just thought that we had very different definitions of what went on in the 60s. No, this was before. This is leading up to. I have seen Austin Powers. I know what it was like. (laughs) Yes, the very historical fiction piece. So the Atlantic article calls it, quote unquote, Victorian style flirting. This was only encouraged by the marketing photos, which showed couples sitting next to each other with the boards scandalously laying across their knees. Dun, dun, dun. Did they show her knees? No. Good. Here is a Buffalo Courier article from November 22nd, 1891. Okay. Bridgeport, Connecticut, November 21st. Miss Eugenia Carpenter, a young divorced woman living at number 221 Myrtle Avenue, has been courted by a young man who very recently ceased to call on her. Miss Carpenter bought a fortune-telling board called Ouija, and then it received the prediction that her suitor would not return to her. Last night, she was found wandering almost nude in the street. Her reason was gone, and at intervals, she cried out, We just said so, and I know it was true. Catholic clergymen are waging a war upon Ouija boards as dangerous to the young. Catholic Church does it again. (laughs) It's a strange shift, but the Ouija board becomes thought of as sort of like, well, there's a few things that happen, right? On one hand, the American public is really thinking of Ouija boards as like good, clean family fun, right? Yeah. Like better do Ouija in the basement than go get drunk. <laughs> that, that, then opium. Right. And of course, there's always like religious people who are taking opposition to it, which we'll talk about in a second. But this all kind of gets blown to shit in 1973. <laughs> in 1973, a little film called The Exorcist hit theaters. 
One of the major plot points is that little Reagan, played by Linda Blair, becomes possessed only after playing with a Ouija board. Really? Uh-huh. They only that. talk about it. They don't they don't show it. Oh, that's why. And this movie totally transformed how America thought of Ouija boards. I'm not exaggerating. Really? An interesting case study is to look at an episode of I Love Lucy from 1951. Okay. Where Lucy and Ethel are very innocently playing with Ouija boards as a joke, you know, as they do. Totally normal. 1951. Compare that to how audiences felt about it in 1973, and it was a very different story. So the exorcist created a connection in the minds of the public between these boards and with demons and the devil, as opposed to these boards and innocent ancestors or or family members, right? Right. It changes the perception. Mm -hmm. So religious groups start to publicly denounce the boards and encourage others to do the same. And as recently as 2011, there was like this famous, uh, I don't know what the right word is, riot or demonstration in New Mexico, (laughs) where... Uh, like Catholic group was burning copies of Harry Potter and Ouija boards. Oh Christ. Public figures, of course, in the Catholic and Christian communities often warn church members of the dangers of the boards. Okay. Almost every single article again that I read to research this talk about how on Catholic.com, there are warnings to church members about the dangers of Ouija boards. (laughs) Catholic.com. Watch out for it. (laughs) That's the tagline. Gotta watch out for it. It just sneaks up on you. Yeah, sure does. The interesting thing is that this fear isn't reserved for religious groups. Even within the paranormal and occult community, there was a shift and there can be a real hesitation even to this day with Ouija boards, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have a, a real life example. I went to visit, there's a paranormal museum in Asbury Park in New Jersey, which is really cool. If you're local, definitely go check it out. Even if you're not local. Yeah, fly over to New Jersey. Just make sure that you're vaccinated. That's right. But I talked to the people who run the museum because they have like a huge collection of Ouija boards. Okay. Spirit boards. And they said that people often leave them on their doorstep because they believe they're so haunted and cursed. So like, you know, several times a year, they'll come in to open the museum and there'll be Ouija boards left on their doorstep with notes like, please take it. Destroy this. Yeah. And I think it's a common sentiment, right? Like even having a Ouija board in your house, like people think it can open a portal to evil energies or spirits. One of the copies or one of the issues of Lunatics Magazine, actually, the back is a functioning Ouija board. And I remember one of my, someone I knew had written a story for it and he didn't want to take it home because his wife was like, wouldn't allow the Ouija board part in the, in the house. So I think we like ripped off the back cover or something so he could take it home. I, I I don't know. I feel like that seems a little unfair. You're team Ouija? Uh, I'm team it's not dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I think all these things usually have the power you give to them, right? It's like crystals. Don't get me wrong. Okay, sales are very strong still for the Ouija board. The patent changed hands a few times. First, like I said, it was with Parker Brothers, and now it's with Hasbro. And as we all know, it's still a very prolific business with most kids of our generation dabbling with Ouija boards. Did you dabble? Nope. Okay, I did. Of course you did. You've, you made me dabble. When we were doing it at sleepovers, I felt like we had the intention of contacting spirits. My experience at sleepovers, we were like young, but it was intense. People really believed what was happening. My my friends did at least like really bought into it. We used it all the time. It was kind of like a staple of my middle school experience. And did you ever feel like it was authentic? I did at the time. I mean, at the time, yeah. And there was a few situations I, you know, that stand out. Like most of them were like, oh, that was clearly Tell me. whoever pushing. But there was a few, like there was one time when... Uh, we were all at my friend's house, my friend Miranda's house, and... Who just got married. Congratulations. And... Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> she... So not Miranda, but another friend that was there. Like, we had play, all played with the Ouija board. There were, It was a big group of us, like 10 or something people. Sure. Kids. We had all played with the Ouija board. We went to bed. And then in the middle of the night, this other girl woke me up. She was, like, hyperventilating, crying. She was so upset. She was like, I just played with the Ouija board, it said these terrible things to me, like really awful things. And she was like shaking. Like she had to call her mom and go home. So do I believe that could have been 
you know, the dark corners of an 11 year old's mind. Sure. Like she could have done that, but it's just the, the power she believed in it so much, right. That she was like physically shaking and had to go home. Have you ever used one by yourself? Probably when I was little, but I don't recall now. I'm just curious. Anyone who's ever had an experience of using it by themselves and it actually doing a thing. Right. Outside of the woman that, you know, clearly was contacting Yeats and Michael. Yeah. Which is perfectly legitimate. (laughs) So with the rise of Ouija boards being featured in horror movies, the vibe, right, shifts from good, clean family fun to like spooky occult scary again you know it's like sort of like originally it wasn't even spooky it was sort of like okay spiritualism we're talking to ancestors then it comes like great it's a toy now only in the modern age is it really thought of as like something spooky or scary or potentially dangerous that's like totally a new sentiment so things got of course like even more it, it sort of has this resurgence with this new identity even, for example, to- like Hot Topic starts selling them. Okay. And then in addition Wait, to... Hot Topic? Yeah. Are they, st- like, are they in- still around? Yeah, of course. I mean, of course. I haven't seen a Hot Topic in forever. Really? Are they in New York City? They're in malls. I miss malls. <laughs> I know that you do. <laughs> okay. So in addition to feature films, right, like Paranormal Activity, we're going to get into the films. But boards were also seen in TV shows like Breaking Bad. In Breaking Bad, there's a Ouija board? That's what it says on the internet. Are you ready for some fun Ouija board pop culture moments? Uh, Sure. It was revealed that the band's name Alice Cooper was brought forth in a session with a Ouija board. Even as recently as 2008, band The Mars Volta claimed to write their album Bedlam and Goliath using a Ouija board. How do you do double letters in Ouija? You leave the letter and go back. Got it. A previous Italian prime minister also testified under oath. Mussolini. mm, I think more recent than that. (laughs) Uh, 1978, that a Ouija board was used in a seance. And there was other like professors and academics in attendance. And so they all claimed that the spirit, the alleged spirit of Giorgio Lapira spelled the name of a street where Aldo Moro was being held by the Red Brigades. So you had asked earlier about sort of like debunking, right? Or, or how it, what's really happening? Yeah, what is happening? So magnets. We're going to talk about the ideometer effect. It's a psychological <laughs> phenomenon where the subject makes an unconscious movement, right? Okay. So we often see this in hypnosis and, of course, with talking boards. Okay. We first see the term in a paper from 1852 written by William benjamin carpenter as a direct response to the spiritualist movement okay so carpenter was friends with james braid who you may remember from our hypnotism episode sure so quoting here carpenter introduced the term ideometer to characterize the reflex or automatic muscular motions which arise merely from ideas associated with motion existing in the mind without any conscious effort of volition end quote hmm So I wouldn't say that this is like a scientific analysis, but I'll say it's not a paranormal one, right? They're not saying it was ghosts. They're saying, no, it's people. Ghosts. I mean, but what are people if not living ghosts? Ghosts in houses? Ghosts ghosts in little, yeah, meat meat skeleton golems. (laughs) And actually, interestingly, this like theory predates Freud's unconscious mind theory. It boils down to the idea that because we are expecting a response from the board, our fingers automatically move to deliver that without us being aware that we're doing it. So people could totally in good conscience say, I'm not doing it, but they are. And they're just not like doing it on purpose. Bunch of cheaters. There's also a Nat Geo show called Brain Games. And <laughs> I worked uh, on Brain Games. You could probably watch it on um, Disney Plus if you have it, but... In an episode, they blindfold the participants and show that the board does not work when everybody's blindfolded. Thus, it cannot be, right, like paranormal. They did a lot of cool things on that show. Oh, you know the show? I worked on that show. Oh, did you work on that episode? No, I did not. Oh. So many investigations have been done in controlled laboratory conditions that show participants are moving the planchette involuntarily, almost like exclusively. 
Quoting from Professor of Neurology Terence Hines' book, Pseudoscience in the Paranormal, quote, The planchette is guided by unconscious muscular exertions, like those responsible for table movement. Nonetheless, in both cases, the illusion that the object, table or planchette, is moving under its own control is often extremely powerful and sufficient to convince many people that spirits are truly at work. Mm-hmm. The unconscious muscle movements responsible for the moving tables and Ouija board phenomena seen at seances are examples of a class of phenomena due to what psychologists call a dissociative state, which is when consciousness is somehow divided or cut off from some aspects of the individual's normal cognitive, motor, or sensory functions, end quote. Yeah. Uh, I'm only familiar with dissociative states from movies because, you know... It's always when uh, you have the big, the, the, the super violent villain and they're locked up, you know, in their insane asylum and perfectly docile, not doing anything, staring at the wall. The guards can poke them and they look like they're brain dead. And they're just like, yeah, he's just in a disassociative state. Yeah. It's also like a psychological term. Like, for example, a lot of if someone had something really traumatic happen to them mm-hmm. Or if somebody, for example, was sexually assaulted, it often happens in those situations where they like actually don't remember until like they go through therapy and things or they don't remember because your brain kind of shuts off as like a survival mechanism. Like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. I'm going to turn off. I see. So I think this is like obviously not about trauma, but it's kind of the same principle of like, oh, there's certain compartments in your brain. So while one compartment might be aware of that this is happening and moving your muscles, it's not your the other compartment isn't aware. So that's why it's dissociative. When it only pertains to part of the brain when they say the lights are on, but nobody's home. <laughs> that's right. So a little uh, pop culture moment here. Yeah. Here are some movies, some feature films, if you will. Oh, I know one. That feature Ouija boards. Which one do you know? The Exorcist. <laughs> the first one on my list, yes. So, The Exorcist from 1973. I have one more. Okay. Ouija. Ouija. Yep, that one's on my list, too. <laughs> that one doesn't come for a little while, though. Uh, there's a film called Witchboard 2 from 1993. Witchboard 2. What Lives Beneath from 2000, a classic. Paranormal Activity, of course, from 2007, another oh, yeah. classic. that's a good one. Yeah, it's good when it catches on fire. The Uninvited from 2009. The Ouija Experiment from 2011. Okay. I Am Zozo, The Pact, and Grave Encounters 2 from 2012. I Am Zozo? It's apparently like a Pazuzu uh, type film. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So in the Exorcist family of movies? I don't know officially or not. Gotcha. That doesn't really matter. A 2014 film that you mentioned called Ouija and the 2016 prequel, Ouija Origin of Evil. That's the one that I was thinking of because Ouija Origin of Evil keeps being my recommended movie to watch on HBO Max. (laughs) Very good. This is what happens when all we do is watch horror movies for this podcast. I know. My therapist told me I need to take a break and I watched Hocus Pocus last night. Which is only tangentially... It's not scary at all. It's still spooky. Yeah, it's Halloween. I want I want to watch something spooky. You need to watch Sleepless in Seattle. No, what I think is the next thing is the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's a good, not spooky Halloween-themed thing to watch. And there's also the movie we almost watched, bec- but you refused because it is not officially canon in the Halloween franchise of The Dog That Saved Halloween. Yeah, that was a funny joke you thought when you put that on. And I thought it was going to be Halloween H2O. It looks so cute. And it has, apparently it stars Zeus and uh, some other Greek gods. If you ever have a niece or nephew, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with them. hope they like Legos. <laughs> uh, and then just to round out the list, The Conjuring 2 from 2016. And a very good film that also my therapist recommended, Veronica from 2017. Okay, so she's saying don't watch movies while simultaneously being like, but listen, you got to check these I out. I think she's saying uh, self-care, and if you're really like on edge and a nervous wreck all the time, maybe that's when it's a good time to like be self-aware and watch something different. Sure. <laughs> Horror films aren't the only reason Ouija boards have had such an enduring impact on society. 
There is a fundamental human interest in the macabre in trying to understand death, trying to cheat death, and trying to connect with those we've lost. Hmm. Horror films like The Exorcist may have thrown fuel on the fire or changed the tone in which spirit boards are perceived, but there will always be a societal interest in the unknown, and especially when it comes to what happens to us next. That, that was a beautiful wrap-up. Thank you. I really feel like it's at the core of it, right? When you look at the Ouija board, mm-hmm. or the spirit boards, right? Yes. The anniversary is 131 years old mm-hmm. this year. Yep. That's even just as one brand. That's very enduring and tells you that every single year for 131 years, there's been enough interest and reprinting to keep this business alive. But there's, pl- uh, I, sure, but there are plenty of products that have been around significantly longer. I know, but I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Shoes. Yes. Uh, apples. Apples? I can, I can do better. Uh, the, the Bible. Huh? Yeah, you got me there. Listen, but I, what I, I think the point I'm trying to make, and maybe the Bible makes the same point, actually, is that there's an inherent interest in this sort of thing when times are tough, when we need to connect, like for various reasons, right? But it still is enduring. And, and even, right, look back at how we started the episode. 1100 AD in China, there was similar planchette writing, automatic writing tools. So, sure. you know, this is just one specific aspect of paranormal interest. But I think in general, if you're talking about why do people believe in religion or paranormal or any of those things at all, it's very easy to connect that to our fear of the unknown and the yearning for there to be something more to life, right? For life to be more than just we're all little meaningless people on a huge, you know, never ending universe. Don't you want to just like find some super, super legit shaman? Yeah. And just be like, hey, I really just want to believe in anything. And he's just like, (laughs) come on. What does he show you? Who can say, but he just walks you into his hut, blows the little powder in your face. And that's it. And then all this, you, you, you are a believer after Then that. you're on peyote. Listen, I'm not about to be the guy that tells a professional how to do their job. Oh, sure. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, it would be nice to just really just have all the skepticism drained away in one fell sweep. Fair enough. Also... Did you know, Alan, that today is it the two-year anniversary of this podcast? No, it's not. So this podcast started two years ago on Halloween. And actually, this is very interesting. So the first year, we had put out we put out 50 episodes, right? With the 50th was the radio drama that we did with Jollyville Radio. It came out on Halloween one year ago today. What was the name of that one? Hello, Listener. You can, you know, that was a really fun project. Definitely go back and listen to that. But the interesting thing is that, so of course we have, we started Lunatics Library this year, right? Sure. So our numbering has become a little off because Lunatics Libraries are numbered separately than our normal like principal episodes. Sure. That being said, if we're talking just about sheer number of episodes released. Yes. This year, right now, this episode. This year, right now. Our two year episode. Yes. Is our 100th episode. So even though it's not episode 100, it's our 100th episode that we've released. Well, pop the bottles and let's celebrate. It's just funny. We didn't plan that. I didn't think it was going to line up, but it just oh, I just oh, noticed you it. didn't plan it. I'm doing air quotes, everyone. I did, She's um, a freaking mastermind. She knows these things. I didn't plan it, but it, it was one of those nice things. We did exactly 50 episodes each year. Just just organically. Well done well done to you too sir thank you and thank you guys all so much for being here and listening it is the only reason that it can happen we really really appreciate having you all here and being part of this and you know thank you guys (laughs) i'm just imagining you know us in like i don't know 50 60 years and we're doing the exact same thing except the mics aren't even plugged in (laughs) it's very depressing to think about but hopefully by then, you know, we're just like dead. We're just happy. Who oh, cares? Yeah, same thing. <laughs> That's the only way we can hear each other is if we talk into mics with headphones. On that note, as always, you guys can check out our YouTube channel, The Lunatics Project on YouTube. We're doing a lot of new stuff there now. So that's a really cool way to 
I don't know, to see some visuals along with history. Hope you like cemeteries. <laughs> I go to a lot of cemeteries. And follow us on Instagram. We're thinking about doing some more lives, things like that. So Instagram is always the best way to hear about that. We're the Lunatics Project on Instagram and Facebook, Lunatics Project on Twitter. So follow us on social media for updates on other things that we're doing uh, in a more timely way. But happy Halloween. Have a wonderfully spooky day. Be safe. And thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. From Storytellers Inc. comes a new audio drama starring Bridget Lundy Payne, City of Ghosts. The voices, they're back. Those of us touched by death and trauma, it's not unusual for the otherworldly to remain present. It's 1999, New York City. Good to see you, Congressman. Hold on, I'm waiting for someone. You can't just. You're waiting for me. I thought you were L, as in Leroy. L, as in Eleanor. Elle Rivkin spends her days buying and selling other people's secrets. Now, who's the new client? Rising real estate developer. I understand this is beyond your usual scope, but I want you to investigate my sister's death. But a new case will lead Elle into a tangled web of power, corruption, and the ghosts of the city. Do you really think you're so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, shut up! Maybe you should try listening a little more. Can you hear me? At least I died with integrity, knowing that I was doing the right thing. Yeah, you're right. You died. What good does sticking your neck out do, especially in this city? Haven't you learned? Men like them have fortresses built around them. They burned down an apartment building with the people inside of it. They won't hesitate to do the same to you. City of Ghosts, starring Bridget Lundy Payne, Aaron Dark, Moises Arias, Kevin Pollack, Rich Summer, and with James Scully. So two deaths and an attempted third. Must mean we're on to something big. Like this is a powerful guy. People like him don't go down easy. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Do be well, Eleanor. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.